0: Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship here as a church before you. I pray that as we listen to the songs that have been sang and the scripture readings that we have read, um, and as we have enjoyed uh, fellowshipping together in partaking of the Lord's Supper and um, at the end of the service when we're going to uh, experience baptisms, we pray that this would all be done in your glory that we would focus on you, and that the words that we have here in this message would be relevant, that they would be focused on you, and that we would see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I find it interesting that when someone becomes a Christian, God doesn't just take them to heaven right away. Why is that? Christians frequently quote Philippians 1.23 and tell us that it's better to be with Christ than it is to be here on earth. And we also know that when we get to heaven, we're going to be fully sanctified. We'll be perfect. And yet, we weren't whisked up to heaven right away. Why is that? We're still imperfect, fighting, and oftentimes failing in our moral lives. Paul instead said in the next verse that it's better that he stayed here for our sake. What does that mean? Why would he want us to stay? How is this better for us? And if if that's true, then is it better for us to stay too? Are our lives here, after we become Christians, meant to be for the good of others? For our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? What are we to do? We're really close to concluding our home life series. We have one more message in the series after today. And this week, we're going to focus on the humbling task of hospitality within the church. To the question that I just raised, I think Paul is right. It is better for us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and for the outside world to have us remain here on earth. Even with the challenges in life, it's a good design by our very good God. So what is hospitality? Hebrews 13.2 says that we can't neglect hospitality. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 1 Peter 4 tells us to show hospitality without grumbling and Romans 12 tells us to teach Christians to show hospitality to fellow Christians by contributing to the needs of others. And I think that that is a good definition. Hospitality is caring for others in need and honoring God in your actions. It's taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. It's providing for those who can't provide for themselves. It's being generous with your time to provide relief to the restless. It's helping others when they need help. It's giving yourself to provide in sacrificial ways or volunteering without repayment. Hospitality, as you can see, is many things, but largely it seems to boil down to this, caring for outsiders as if they're insiders. Leviticus 19 talks about inviting foreigners into your home and treating them as if they're your own people. (laughs) To illustrate hospitality and caring for outsiders as if they're insiders, I can't help but think of a story. Do you guys like stories? I do. (laughs) I, in particular, really enjoyed children's storybooks and I can't help but think about reading Sally lloyd Jones's The Jesus Storybook Bible. In it, there is a story that I think is going to help us learn a little bit more about hospitality. It's called The Servant King, where Jesus was preparing his disciples for the crucifixion. And this story is famous among kids for being called the Stinky Feet story. Here is a short portion of it. Jesus and his friends were having the Passover meal together in an upstairs room. But Jesus' friends were arguing. What about? They were arguing about stinky feet. Stinky feet? Yeah, that's right. Stinky feet. Now, the thing about feet back then was that people didn't wear shoes. They only wore sandals, which might not sound unusual, except the streets in those days were dirty. And I don't just mean dusty dirty. I mean really stinky dirty with all those cows and those horses everywhere. You can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on their feet. So anyway, someone had to wash away the dirt, but it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? And that's a good question. Who would dare to wash gross, dirty feet? And we'll see the answer to that question today. Turning in your Bibles to John chapter 13. This story is taken from this passage, and we'll see quite a scene unfold before our eyes. John 13, starting in verse 1, we'll see Jesus and his disciples as they prepare for the last supper during Passover. <clears throat> it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If, you do, or if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head." Jesus said to him, "The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean." "And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you are clean." When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another. You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here, we see that Jesus and his disciples gather for their final Passover meal before his death. Passover was an event that commemorated the salvation given to the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt. The 10 plagues swept through the land where Pharaoh refused to let the people go. The final plague was God sending an angel of death to kill the firstborn son of every household that was not covered by the blood of a spotless lamb. And that symbol foreshadowed what Jesus, as the Lamb of God, did for us, for all who are adopted into the family of God, and that's why we take communion. This occasion, Passover, was a moment of preparation for Jesus' departure from the world. It became a time for him to, depare, to prepare his disciples to take over his earthly ministry. He's been walking with them for the last few years, and this time where he would be crucified is coming. We had, and, and, and what had the disciples learned in these last couple of years leading up to this time? He was with them daily and had countless lessons with them, so surely they learned everything that he needed to teach them, right? Apparently, that wasn't the case. Luke twenty-two, twenty-four 24 records the actions of the disciples that evening. They were arguing. They quarreled amongst themselves about who's greater. They saw themselves as better than one another. They were fighting about who was best, all while Jesus was with them. But the text tells us in John 13, at the end of verse 1, that Jesus loved them to the end. Their antics, their bickering and their infighting, it didn't remove Jesus' love from them. He cared for their friends. He knew them and he loved them. He lived with them for years. He knew their flaws and their strengths and their motives and their fears. He was indeed a true friend to them the arguing that his disciples were doing with one another wasn't a surprise. Instead, he took this opportunity to teach them an important lesson, a lesson in humble hospitality, a lesson in caring for one another, a lesson in putting others first. His love for them is an act of service. And it's a lesson that now serves us. Jesus teaches us that we get to emulate our holy God By serving sacrificially. He acted in humility. He showed his disciples the glory of humble hospitality. And he gives us an example to follow. We get to emulate our holy God by serving sacrificially. Look at verse 4 and his deliberate actions. He rose from the table. He removed his garment. He took a towel and he tied it around his waist. Verse five continues, he poured water into a basin and then he starts to wash. Wash what? Stinky feet. Then he wiped the disciples feet with his towel that he had wrapped around himself. Then he went on to the next disciple and he did it again and then again. And then he got to the feet of Judas Jesus knew that Judas was planning on betraying him that very night, and he still took time to wash his feet. What a testimony and thankless service. It's a reminder that we don't serve to gain the praises of others. And then Jesus went on to the next disciple, and then again, until eventually he came to the feet of Peter. This wasn't a quick event. The text slows down here, so we get to slow down. He's cleaning. Cleaning takes a long time. That's why many of you likely procrastinate in your cleaning. Or maybe you clean to procrastinate. He's cleaning something that's pretty disgusting. Could you imagine having Jesus clean your toilet because you thought you were too good to clean your own toilet? There's something that we can learn here from him. Jesus did not consider acts of service to be beneath him. Even the lowest common task did not deter him from serving others. It did for the disciples, apparently, but he took a lowly position. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He dressed like a servant with the taking off of his garment. He was showing that he was prepared to serve his disciples, it was an act of humility. He was showing his disciples how to serve. It also shows us that Jesus noticed the servants who washed feet. In this simple act, he shows that he came to serve and not be served. He cares for the outcast and the weak and the poor. He knows them. He's already come from heaven to live with us. Philippians 2, 5 through it explains have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This, right here, this is Christ's condescension. He became like one of us. He had every right to stay in heaven, and still, he came to serve us. He humbled himself. He lowered himself. He stepped down from that high position and lived among us, and he died for us. What incredible news. No matter how sinful you've been, Jesus came to serve you. You can be confident that you have been saved and experienced this freedom found in this life-giving act of hospitality if you come and you trust in him and what he has done. Our text shows us that Jesus washed his feet, or washed the disciples' feet willingly. Just as coming to earth as a man did not diminish his glory, serving others in a humble position like foot washing didn't detract from his glory either. It displayed it even more. Jesus found glory in sacrificial service. That's why it's our privilege to emulate our holy God in sacrificial service. There is glory in serving others because God served others. And we get to be like him when we do that. Our service to others illuminates the glory of Jesus through our actions. So, who would wash stinky feet? I hope you, brothers and sisters, would, or at least the equivalent of what would be that in today's society, caring for widows and orphans in the distress, like James 127 says. This makes me think about foster families. There's not a whole lot of glory in fostering. You put all of your energy and your effort into a relationship that you know is likely going to end. At least here on earth. Yet it's exactly an act of service that we're called to do. You get to proclaim the goodness of God and bring them into your home and into your church. I also think about those who look at the finances here at our church. Our bookkeepers and our treasurer and our tellers who manage the money that go in and out of the church They deal with hours upon hours of emails and spreadsheets and questions that come to them every week. And I just mentioned two examples that I know happen here, but there are services that I have absolutely no clue that happened at this church. There are some modern example of foot washing like these all around us. Those who do these tasks are displaying God's glory, and they're all doing that while hidden in plain sight. They do this to serve others, but they do this to serve God. Their actions relate them to God, and they become more like God in their humility and in their sacrificial service. It builds connections with one another and displays God's glory in their relationship with those whom they serve. So now I encourage you, if you are not serving like this, then think about some ways that you can serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you love your church family like Christ loved his disciples, loving them to the end? How can you give yourself to them as an act of service? Because again, you get to emulate our holy God by serving sacrificially. So take some time and pray and ask that the Holy Spirit reveal to you a need that overwhelms your heart and launches you into action. Now, if you'll also turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, we're going to see an example of people who are doing just that. We see in Acts chapter 6, this is where deacons are introduced. So here are the words from Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. This right here in Acts 6, we see this is how the church responds in care for those who are in need. And it leads us to our second point. We get to imitate our holy God by helping the helpless. The disciples learned from Jesus' teaching and wanted to put it into practice. They knew the task of service was necessary, and so they appointed people with servant hearts to care for others. And here at Calvary, we too appoint people with servant hearts to care for others. And in so doing, we get to imitate our holy God by helping the helpless. <coughs> Excuse me. As we see, God came to serve those who could not save themselves there is continued service in caring for those who can't care for themselves. Look at how the church saw the need of the people around them. In verse 1, it explains that the Greek Christians, or the, the Hellenists, they saw that there was a need to care for the widows who were being overlooked. The church was providing food to each other, but the widows weren't getting anything. So the Greek Christians brought this concern to the church. It appears that the church didn't miss these widows on purpose, They were simply slipping through the cracks. They went unnoticed. It's a reminder for us that people are hurting all around us. Do you see those who are hurting here in our church? Do you look? Or perhaps have you overlooked? Thankfully, however, we see that the widows were eventually not overlooked. They were seen. And in verses 2 and 3, the apostles saw the need of the people and they saw that it was beyond their ability to provide for others. And so they prioritized these women, these widows, by appointing men of godly character to help the helpless. Once you were helpless, you were in deep need of salvation. You needed help but Christ came and provided himself so that you could have all that you need in John six thirty five, Jesus says I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst you were given the bread of life and now you get the honor of imitating Christ by helping the helpless I couldn't verify this next quote It's attributed to 15 or so people. But I think this is a really helpful quote. Evangelism is one poor beggar telling other poor beggars where to find bread. We as Christians provide hope and light and life to a dark, dying, and hopeless world. We do that through proclaiming the gospel message to everyone around us. Jesus is everything you need. He's that servant king who gave himself up for us. We also get to extend our service to others by providing for their physical needs, as the men appointed in Acts 6 cared for physical needs. Once we were helpless, but now we provide the help that we've first been given to others. On the day of final judgment, God reminds us, of our deeds. In Matthew 25, 34 through 40, it says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you that as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did to me. So when we imitate our holy God by helping the helpless, we fulfill the righteous act that God has prepared for us to do. We show others that not only has Christ taken our sins upon himself and cleansed us, but he has given us his good works to share with those around us. So if we go back to my initial question, is it better for us to stay too? Are our lives here after we become Christians meant to be good for others, for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, what are we to do? I think that there is a resounding yes to this. Yes, of course we should be here. And we're here as a good design because that we're living as Christ has first lived for us, for others. We get to sacrifice ourselves for those in need. We get to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, and thereby serve our God. And here at Calvary, we have so many people that we can thank. And I'm going to take some time to thank you. I know that many will be embarrassed, so I won't say names, I promise. But know that you were very important to us, and we really could not have done so many of the things that we do here at Calvary without you. I want to thank for example, the elders who put their time and their efforts into leading our church. Some of, their, some of the times their meetings go really long uh, and their, their families have been very gracious in letting them continue to work with one another and lead in uh, having us focus on the word of God better. Thank you to our many deacons. For example, our tellers who collect offerings and hand them to the finance team. Help you help... Mm. <clears throat> Thank you to the finance team for caring for our church keeping us above reproach and still running thank you to our kitchen team for helping out with potlucks or planned events or when you guys have after school or after (laughs) after church snacks and thank you to anyone who provides snacks for them to put out thank you for our teller um, our trustees as well i forgot to put that in my notes but this, this building runs largely because the trustees put in so much hard work, so thank you for them. Thank you to the people who help in Compassion. Our deacon of Compassion provides help for people outside of the church, and one of the ways that she does that is by running sandwich making every third Sunday of the month between the services, and that's been a huge blessing to the, the community around us. Thank you to the hospitality team who give extra help to people who need the elevator or who need assistance either in the service or assistance in Sunday school. Speaking of which, thank you to many of the Sunday school workers. I'll catch many of them next uh, service. Um, who either lead in the large group or their teachers and assistants in classes who are, um, who are leading these kids in learning the word of God. And thank you for the people who work behind the scenes and prepare crafts, the materials that the teachers use, or the people who schedule and make sure that there are teachers and helpers for the kids. Thank you for our nursery workers who give the parents a chance to hear the church service and for praying for our kids here at Calvary. Thank you to the worship team for running the music and for tech and helping to orient our hearts to keep focused on God and see what he's done. Or I could think the outreach committee. Downtown Ottawa has been blessed through barbecues and through caroling. And people have come to our church as a result of these. And they have heard the gospel. And people have believed it. That's why we're here, right? We're sharing the gospel message. And so I'm so thankful for the Outreach Committee and also for the Missions Committee who connect the small groups with the missionaries that we have all around the world telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you to parents and to foster parents and to grandparents and to guardians and anyone else who helps to raise children here at Calvary. And also thank you to the people who give support to those people who are caring for the children. Thank you to members who have invited people over and uh, invited people to stay after church. I know that when I was new and I didn't know anyone, it was such a blessing, such a huge relief to be able to to meet with someone else. It's hard to reach out when you're the newcomer. There's so many more people that I can thank, like small group leaders and hosts and missionaries and um, the people who have been paying attention to the parking lots, so many more things but with all of these, all of whom I have mentioned, we are a church that is in great need, and I genuinely thank you so much. Thank you for helping the church to run and to continue to uphold our God. If you're not serving and would like to help serve, then there's so many areas that we still have left, like the accessibility, and I know that people have been having a hard time finding enough uh, people to run the elevator. Uh, we, have, we have lots of people who would love help in the kitchen or cleaning up in the sanctuary afterwards with the bulletins and communion cups that are left out. Um, I'm working on helping to set up the library again, and I would love help in either organizing or having that continued run once I have that up. So continue, consider some of the areas that you would like to serve and open yourself up to share your life with this church family. When I mention inviting others into your home, by the way, I wanna make sure that you know that you don't have to be perfect. You don't need to know everything. You aren't inviting people over to marvel at how clean your home is. You're opening your home up to be with them. I think about the story of Mary and Martha hosting Jesus in Luke 10. We see that Martha has invited Jesus to come over and be be her guest. Martha was a strong woman. She knew her scriptures well. We know that she was a good theologian, and she wanted to present her best to Jesus. And so Jesus came and visited her and her sister Mary. What she desired to do was to to, to do good. And I have no doubt that you would love to do good when you invite people over, too. But don't get wrapped up in serving to the point of missing your guests I know that I, personally, am prone to do that. I've invited people over many times and spent the entire time in the kitchen, and my friends have wondered where I am. So fortunately, I've had friends who have been very kind, and they've come in and they've helped to serve, which is really nice, because then they're serving me to serve them. (laughs) But we're all really good at being independent and and wanting to, to do everything for others, but it's okay. Spend time with your guests. We see instead Jesus praised Mary for stopping and being with him. She wanted to be there and listen to him as their guest. And she was present and attentive as he spoke. So when Martha came and asked Mary to help her, Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose to dwell in God's presence. Martha was doing a very good thing in wanting to serve, but she missed the point of serving. You're giving your guests an opportunity to see Christ in you, and you'll get the honor of seeing their lives as you focus on them as your guests. So provide what you can, but don't miss that central focus. Don't miss your guests. And most importantly, don't miss Jesus. Jesus. Don't miss that wonderful news of who he is and what he has done for you. Let he be the one that you seek, and when you can, serve those around him who love him too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we first saw Jesus serve His disciples, may we be like them. May, may we be like Him, be like Jesus, as, you, as we serve your people give us hearts to love each other as Jesus first loved us, to open our eyes and see the needs that are unmet all around us. Cause our hearts to to seek after you and have our feet spur to go and do what we see needs to be done to serve you and to serve our brothers and sisters. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.